0: Would you open God's Word with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we are continuing in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews, and we are certainly being challenged with our time in chapter 11. And this morning, I want us to look at the faith of Amram and Jacobin. You could subtitle this message, Raising a Family in Cultural Darkness. Raising a family in cultural darkness. It just so happens on this baby dedication day that we're here in verse 23. And this is the verse that we're going to look at as we are continuing to pause and look at each individual character uh, that the writer of Hebrews lays out for us. Verse 23 is the faith of Amram and Jochebed. Let's look at it. Verse 23, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Moses... When he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. I, I, I want to begin uh, the sermon by just stating an observation. And that observation is simply that guys now hold on with me Guys do weird things, all right? How many of you women would amen to that statement, all right? Uh, Guys do weird things. It's true, we do. We do a lot of weird things. And one of the weird things that uh, guys do is we sit around and talk about uh, especially in the sports realm, we, we talk about who the goat is, who the goat is. Have you ever heard that statement before? He's the goat or she's the goat, right? The goat, the, the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T, the goat, greatest of all time. For, for example, if you were having a reasonable conversation with me, and I say reasonable, and I would tell you that the goat of basketball, the greatest of all time, it's not even a debatable matter. We'd be wasting our time discussing it because it's an obvious statement that Michael Jordan is the goat. He's the greatest uh, of of all time. These kids who think LeBron James is, they ain't seen nothing. All right. Michael Jordan is the GOAT. He's the GOAT. In football, I don't even like really the, the, the Patriots or anything, but, but we, we could just put all the arguments to the side. Tom Brady in football is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. He has is, he is proven that. I'm making the Peyton Manning fans upset in the crowd this morning. So, so guys like to do that, right? We, we sit around like, who's the GOAT? Who's the, who's the greatest of all time? Well, let me tell you this morning, to the Jews... Moses, if if some guys were sitting around saying, who's the goat in Hebrew history? The goat would be Moses. He's the the greatest of all time. He's the greatest of all men to the Jewish people. Follow with me for a moment. He he was Israel's greatest leader. God chose Moses to be the deliverer of Israel's slavery. He, He was Israel's greatest prophet. God communicated directly to, to Moses. He was Israel's greatest lawgiver. When we talk about the, the law of God as presented to us uh, in, uh, in the Pentateuch, it would affectionately become known as the law of Moses. Why? Because he was so revered and honored. He was, he was the greatest. He was the greatest lawgiver. He was the greatest historian. By him we have the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And of course, he was Israel's greatest example. There's only been one person ever in the entire Old Testament described the way that Moses was described, and that is he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. To the Hebrews, uh, Moses was the goat. Listen to what the Holy Spirit uh, recorded about Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, since then there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. No one like him. And I know verse 23 says, by faith, Moses, but actually verse 23 is not so much talking about Moses as it is Moses' parents. The story of Moses' faith begins with the faith of Moses' parents. And though their names are not recorded here in Hebrews chapter 11, their faith certainly is. So look at it there in verse 23 again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they, his parents, saw he was a beautiful child, and they, his parents, were not afraid of the king's command. They, as we've already noted, are Amram and Jochebed Don't you like that name, Jochebed I think we should have a fifth girl just to say, Jacobin, is that a good idea? No, she's giving me the look. God saw fit to include this mom and dad in Hebrews chapter 11 to illustrate what it means for the people of God to live by faith. And in this case, he is illustrating our lives of faith in conjunction with family life. Parenting, to be specific. And you'll remember this is not the first time that the author of Hebrews has highlighted the responsibility of parenting in regards to the genuineness of our faith. It was just in our previous text, verses 20, 21, and 22, that we saw Isaac, uh, his faith was honored because he passed down his faith to his son. And then we see Jacob's faith being honored because he passed down his faith to his grand. Sons. In their dying days, they were lauded for their faith to the family. Now we have the faith of Amram and Jochebed that's lauded. It's a good reminder, church family, that the most powerful and influential people on the face of the earth are parents. The most powerful and influential people in your child's life is you as a mom and dad. And the greatest mission field for the gospel is the home. It's important that we note that as we just come out of this missions weekend. And we talk about all the places that, that need the gospel and where we can go with the gospel and how we need to send people out to the gospel, and that's great. But before we can ever go there, we need to recognize that right here in front of us, in the very places in which we live, is the greatest mission field that we could ever achieve. And that is taking the gospel to our families. To summarize in one statement what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 wants us to know about living by faith, especially parental faith, it is simply this. And no, I'm not going to give you the one statement and then pray and be dismissed. I'm going to give you the summary, and then you're going to stay with me a little bit longer. But here's the summary. If we could say it in one statement, it would be this. Amram and Jochebed completely trusted the sovereignty and providence of God over their child's life that's why they are honored in the hall of faith it's not because they were perfect parents there is no perfect parent it's not because everything aligned just perfectly and right I don't know none of that ever happens for anybody but it's because their faith was strong enough in the sovereignty of God and in the providence of God that they fully trusted their child to God. And that's what we see exploding in verse 23. The faith of a faithful mom and dad who did the very best they could to raise a family in a dark, dark culture. Just write down a couple things this morning about their faith. Number one... They chose life. That's the first thing that we note here. Uh, The faith of Amram and Jochebed, what what does it take to raise a family in a dark culture? We we, we see here first that, that they chose life. They chose life. Verse 23 says, and when he was born, born, they chose life. Now, who were Amram and Jacobed? They were obviously Hebrews from the tribe of Levi. And what's interesting to note here about their history is that their marriage took place again in a very dark time in Israel's history. The Hebrew people were growing as a, as a people, but they were still living in Egypt. God had yet to give them the land of promise. So, so the new king of Egypt, after uh, Joseph Died, began to notice very quickly that the Hebrew people were multiplying. And his his problem was that is that as he saw the people begin to multiply, he feared that they would become too powerful for the Egyptians and one day overtake them. So he made the Israelites slaves. He wanted to bring them under oppression and affliction and Bondage. In fact, Exodus chapter 1 tells us that the Egyptians made their lives miserable with hard and rigorous bondage. That's, that's what their lives were all about. Hard and rigorous bondage. But here's the crazy thing. His plan backfired. He, he, was, he was hopeful that with all the oppression and affliction that they would stop having babies. But it seemed like the more affliction and bondage and rigor that came upon their lives, the, the more babies that they had and they kept having babies as hard as it was to live in that oppression and darkness they they kept choosing life as a people but 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 it got worse because when the king realized that his plan for slavery and oppression had failed to accomplish his purposes he took an even more diabolical route In the most devilish way possible, he made an edict. And the edict simply stated that all newborn boys had to be drowned in the Nile River to essentially become food for crocodiles. This is how wicked their ruler was. Murder the babies. And that's how they thought. Murder the babies... Control the population. Keep our power. Think about it for a moment. Murder the babies. Control the population. Keep our power. Now listen to me very carefully. Satan's most devious tactic has always been an attack on life itself. Since the beginning... The attack on life is nothing new. It may be manifesting itself in different ways in our culture. But his agenda has always been the same since the beginning of time. And that is to take life. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. The voice of Satan is always going to whisper, you can't handle this baby. Look what you did. You don't want to bring a child into this dark world. He whispers. Look. Look what this baby is going to do to your life. Look at what this baby is going to do to your future. You you have options. It's not even a baby anyway. It's a fetus. There's a nice little clinic, Satan whispers, down, down the road and you can change it all right now, and, 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 and they'll make everything comfortable for you. Through the years, I've been amazed at the number of couples who, though they would never consider abortion, have, however, acknowledged during their premarital counseling with me that children was just an obstacle to their plans. Well, oh, Pastor, we're not going to have kids. You can skip that lesson because we've got places to go and things to do, and they're just going to slow us down. Or sometimes, in even more pious terms, suggest that they could never bring a child into the world to be surrounded by so much darkness. Who would want to make a kid live in this world that we live in? But let me tell you something. Though Satan is a murderer, though he whispers lies of death into our ears, what we have in Hebrews chapter 11 and Exodus 1 and 2 is a faithful couple who trusted the providence of God. Amram and Jochebed trusted the providence of God. I'm sure it was stressful, even nauseating. Think about it, moms. Imagine what Jochebed went to thinking about the possibility that after nine months of carrying their child, that if he's born a boy, that he would be immediately drowned in the river. Can you imagine the daily stress that was on them? But in their minds... Their thoughts were, forget the king's edict. (laughs) We're keeping this baby. Even if we have to hide him, we're keeping this baby. We're going to do whatever we can to choose life and give him the life that God wants him to have. And that's the first step of faith that we see in their life. When it comes to raising a family in the darkness of this culture, we need to realize that faith always chooses life. Faith always chooses life. And faith always sees every child as a special gift from God. Every child. Yes, that one of yours that is getting on your everlasting nerve, he is a special gift from God. A gift to teach you patience. See, he knows. He's got several. Faith looks at every child and sees that they are a special gift from God brought into this world to serve a special purpose in God's kingdom plan. Did you notice how Amran and Jochebed viewed Moses when he was born? Look at it there again in verse 23. When he was born, of course, it says they hid him for three months because they saw he was a beautiful child. Now, I had to scratch my head on this for a moment because it would make sense to hide your child if he was ugly. Yeah, you don't want to see him. Yeah, just, just wait a little while. God, God can work miracles, you know. That's what they said about Jared when he was growing up. But in this case, it says when he was born, they hit him because he was, he was, he was beautiful. He was beautiful. Think about the language here. The moment they laid their eyes on their son, it was like nothing they had ever experienced before. He had the mark of God on it. Do you remember what it was like? Holding them for the very first time? I'm a sucker for emotional stuff. I, I, was, I was listened to the Hamilton musical Broadway soundtrack, and my favorite song on the whole production is a song called Dear Theodosia. You know what I'm talking about, Camilla. Camilla and I talk about Hamilton. Every time I listen to it, tears come running down my, it's, it's about Aaron Burr singing a song when he first held his daughter Theodosia in his hands and Alexander Hamilton when he first held Philip in his hands. Sometimes I'll, I'll listen to it going down the road with my kids in the back seat and Ellie's be like, Dad, why are you crying? I'm not crying, it's my allergies. I think about that. In fact, I, I was thinking about it so much this week. That I, I pulled up a few pictures. The first time I held each of our four children. See if you can pick a couple of them out. Let's show the, this the first one. This was. Uh, you know who this is? That's Kate. That's Kate. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, and the stud in the pink shirt. That's yours truly. <laughs> I'll never forget that time, Kate, holding you for the very first time. I was so proud. She was so beautiful. She still is. She looks like a little elf in that picture, doesn't she? With a little cone head, sweetheart. Let's see, see the next one. See if you can pick the next one out. Do we know who that is? That's K Man. That's Keegan right there. Oh, Keegan. Holding him for the first time. I have a son. I have a son. Look at the next one. Look at those cheeks. Look at those cheeks, Ellie. She's covering her face up here. That's my little girl right there. She's the life of the party, just like her mama. And then just a couple months ago, let's look at the next one. There's Jaden. I got the same Hornet shirt on six years apart there. By the way, I have the same pink shirt still hanging in my closet ten years. I need some new clothes. So special, isn't it? Do you remember holding them for the very first time? Amran and Jochebed, they hold Moses and they look at him and he's so beautiful. But that word beautiful, it's not just about his appearance. It's when they looked at him, they saw that this was a special gift from God. God had a special plan for him. Look, one of the wisest things we can do in our families is to recognize that Every kid is different. We can't parent all of our kids the same way. They they all come in different packages. But listen to me very carefully. Not every child comes in the same package, but every child does come with a special purpose. They looked at him and saw he was beautiful. They chose life. They chose life by bringing him into the world. They chose life by hiding him from the king's edict. By the way, you don't have to naturally have a child in order to choose life. Thousands of kids are waiting for their forever home right now to be adopted into a family. What a gospel opportunity. Maybe some of us will rise to the occasion and choose life because every child is a special gift from God. They chose life by faith. Write down number two. They entrusted him to God. They entrusted him to God. Verse 23 says, all right, Moses was hid in three months by his parents. We're going to come back to why that happened in a moment. But in conjunction with that, it says, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So you have to go back to Exodus to figure out what happened. And Exodus chapter 2 tells us. And for the first three months, they did their best to hide him. But as we know, there comes a point where you can't hide a child any longer. So they get creative and the scripture seems to imply that this was this was this was Jochebed's idea which i which i love she she she's she she's leading leading in this protection of her of her son she goes and she gets this idea to, to build with her own hands a basket that could float in the river it literally was a was a mini boat and when i thought about Jochebed taking the time to craft this basket I think you'd agree with me that probably never has there ever been a basket made like the one Jochebed made. I mean, Noah couldn't even build a boat as good as Jochebed built it. You know why? Because you never an- underestimate the power of a mom to do whatever she can to protect her children. That's what this is. This is not just a boat to put down anybody. This is a boat that her son's going to be put in, that she hopes will float, that she hopes will take him to take him to. Safety. So so she builds this boat, this basket, and then she puts Moses into the basket and, and places the basket in the river near the location where Pharaoh's daughter would routinely come to bathe. And so it happened on this particular day that came down to the river, Pharaoh's daughter and her entourage, no doubt. And Exodus chapter 2 tells us that while they were there, that it just so happened that Moses' sister Miriam was standing by. She was watching, observing to see what would happen. And in the process of time, she noticed there's a basket in the water. of her servants went and they grabbed the basket and they pulled it to the side. And when they opened up the lid to the basket inside, was a baby. And I don't know what God did, but the scripture implies here is that the moment she opened up the basket, the baby began to cry. Maybe God just kind of mysteriously pinched the cheek of that child. Maybe he had a dirty diaper. I don't know. Whatever the case was, he just started crying. And when she heard the cries, just like in that song, Dear Theodosia, when she heard the cries, she fell apart. She fell apart. Her heart was arrested. She had compassion on him. It became obvious that she wanted to take him, adopt him. But it wasn't that easy. So Miriam comes up with this good idea. She's standing close by and says, oh, I got an idea. You know, there's a lot of Hebrew moms. Back over here in the encampment. And all their children have been thrown in the Nile River, but they're fully capable to nurse. How about I go and find a Hebrew mom to nurse the child for you? And then after he's weaned, we'll bring him back to the palace. And Pharaoh's daughter loved the idea. Yes, yes, Miriam, go find me a Hebrew mom to do it. And we know who she goes to. She goes to mom. To Jacobeth. Mom, you're not going to believe this. She picked up the basket. I, I can imagine when Kate gets really excited and tells us a story. It's like going 100 miles an hour. <sighs> the dog's out there. He's running, running on the back. Slow down. Maybe, maybe Miriam approached it that way. My mom, you're not, you're not going to believe this. I was, down, I was down by the river, and, 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 and Moses was, was floating. And then she, she picked up, and he was crying. And she looked in the back. They want you to nurse the baby. What? It's amazing. God is in every detail of the story. He's in every facet of the experience. Moses' biological mother, a relationship not known by Pharaoh's daughter, is now going to get paid to nurse her own baby. Some of us have been lying awake all week worried we're worried about things we cannot control we're worried about the past we're worried about the future we're worried about the finances the chaos the the children the the family the job how this is all going to work out and there's a theme that God has woven together this week in our worship services from Wednesday to Samuel and now this morning in Hebrews and the theme is leave it to God God is in every detail of our lives. He knows exactly who to bring and when to bring them in order to work it out for his sovereign purposes. Why am I staying awake at night worrying about the God who's putting all the pieces in the right places exactly the way that he wants it? The faith of Amram and Jochebed is just simply amazing. In fact, I go as far as to say it's crazy faith. Crazy faith courageous faith think about it it took faith to conceive him faith to hide him faith to put him in a basket faith to leave the basket floating in the river faith to trust pharaoh's daughter to find him and then faith that when she finds him that she's not going to obey her father's own edict and kill him And then even after the adoption was arranged, it took faith to believe that his life would be lived for God. Listen to me, parents. Even after he was gone, when they let him go, it took faith for them to believe that God was going to take care of him in the immersive culture of pagan Egypt. When Jochebed and Amram put Moses in that basket, they had no idea if they'd ever see their boy again. But they still willingly let him go and entrusted his life to God. It's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? To take our hands off and willingly entrust them to God. I wrote down a couple of things this week of just this, this thought of surrendering our kids. What does that look like for us? Because obviously God is not asking us to put our children in a basket and send them in a the river. Unless he's 20 years old and still living in our home, then by all means throw him in the river. Okay, so God, can we edit that? Thanks. God's not asking us to put our children in a basket tonight. But he is asking you to give them to God, to surrender them all to him and trust his sovereignty and providence over their life. I wrote down a couple things, just a very practical way. I hope this will help you. Write them down, add to it, ponder them, write me an email, say you disagree. I just, I, I just want you to think about these things. How do we surrender our kids? How do we entrust them to God in a way that Amran and Jochebed exemplifies? Number one, I just wrote down simply, believe that God loves them more and better than I do. Think about it. Believe that God loves my kids more than I do and better than I do. It's hard for us to acknowledge that somebody else would love our kids more than we love them. But God does. He not only loves them more, but he knows how to love them better than you love them. It's a lot easier to let go of the basket and push it off to God when we truly acknowledge that he loves them. He does more for them. He knows how to work in their lives better than we do. Number two, I wrote down, tell your kids that they belong to God and tell God that they belong to him. Tell your kids. We we, we use this little expression sometimes, right? I don't know if you heard this growing up. I heard it a lot. I brought you into this world and bless God, I can take you out. Y'all have heard it and y'all have said it, haven't you? But it's actually really not true, is it? Because they're not our possession; they're God's. And 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 it does them good to say you belong to God. you're just temporarily here but, but you're God's possession you're God's creation you're God's child you are yours for God to do with whatever he desires and it does us good to tell God that Because when we're tempted to put our hands on and push them toward our dreams and keep them away from the places we think and God's purposes might hurt them, it would be good every once in a while when faced with that temptation that we come to God and say, God, I just need to be reminded that they're yours and they're not mine. Tell your kids that they belong to God. I wrote down number three, challenge them to invest their life for God. Challenge them to invest their life for God. Maybe, get, especially those of you young kids, get your young kids together maybe around the lunch table today, and say, "If you knew you could do anything in this world for God's glory, what would you do for Him?" And nurture that, invest in it. I see this a lot: of coaching. A lot of parents have dreams for their kids, but it's not God's heart for them. We got to be careful that we're not investing. Our dreams for our kids. But that we're challenging them to follow God's heart for their life. To invest their life. You want to give them to God? Then talk about God. Push them toward God. Encourage them toward God. Tell them, hey, you can do anything in this world for the glory of God if God wills it for your life. And then I wrote down just lastly here. Again, just very practical things. Put God first in your own life. If we want to surrender our kids to God, look right here. we got to be surrendered ourselves. Put God first in your own life. And when you fail, Dad, and you will, and when you fail, Mom, and you will over and over again, then tell them you failed and ask them to forgive you. I think one of the most Dangerous things we could do in our homes is never acknowledging our weaknesses as moms and dads. When was the last time you went to one of your kids and said, Hey, look, dad blew it. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have thrown uh out the window like that going down the highway. I shouldn't have done that. We'll go pick her back up. Hey, mom was selfish. When was the last time you said that, moms? I I was selfish. Will you forgive me? Oh, give your kids to God and trust them to God. Amram Amram and Jochebed, they they chose life. They entrusted their kids to God. And then finally, right down number three, they nurtured his faith. They nurtured his faith. So so wrapped up in this snapshot of the faith of Moses' parents is the time that God did give them with Moses in their home. Remember, he's not only hidden, but they, they weren't afraid of the king's order. So so Pharaoh's Pharaoh's daughter sends Moses back to his biological home, not really knowing that that's what it was. And and what a miracle that God in his providence uh, allowed for Moses as a three-month-old baby to go back home to mom and dad for what would be the most important period of time in his life. Because in just a few short years, he would be returned to the palace. Returned to Pharaoh's daughter to live as her adopted son in Egypt's grand place. But for now, for now, during this brief period of time, he is with Amram and Jochebed. And while he's there, he is surrounded by a home of genuine faith. It was here that Moses became aware of his heritage. It was here during these years that Moses became aware of his God. It was here that Moses became aware of the promise God had made to deliver his people from Egypt. We don't know precisely how long this period of time was. Cultures differ and Various scholars go back and forth. Some say it could have been as minimal as three or four years. Some say it could have been age eight, nine, or ten that he stayed in the home. Well, whatever it is, this was a formidable age. And the point is, look right here, they were not wasted years. They didn't waste them. I don't picture Jochebed pacing back and forth every day. I can't believe God would do this. He's going to let some other woman raise my child. and He's going to live in Egypt. And he's going to have this influence and that influence. And now that would have been me. No, she, she, she didn't have time to explain it. She wasn't concerned about what was fair and what was not fair. She said, i got a limited window. I've got a little bit of time, and I'm not going to waste that time. What time they did have with Moses, they spent it investing everything they could to help him know God and serve God. Proverbs 22, 6, think about this. Now, I'm not going to preach from this verse. We're not going to expound on it. I think it's widely abused and misused. That's another sermon for another time. But do listen to the language for a moment. Train up a child in the way he should go. What's the next phrase say? Say it with me out loud. Ready? And when he is old. When he's old. That is, they grow up. And there's not a lot of time The average life expectancy in the United States right now is 78 years. If you were to take the 18 years that you may have with your child in the home and then factor the amount of time that they possibly could live based upon those statistics, it's interesting to point out that we only have our children for about 20% of their life. 20% of their life if they stay at the, at the averages. It's not a lot of time. I, 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 look, I look on that screen, and I see that picture of Kate, and I'm thinking, that was 10 years ago. I'm, I'm blinking. It feels like yesterday. Of course, Kathleen and I, at this point in our lives now, at the age of 40, taking on a, a new baby. I told her the other day, there's going to come a day around when Jaden's 12. The rest of the kids will be out of the house. And we're going to go out to McDonald's with our 12-year-old son, and everybody's going to ask us if this is our grandson. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Gary's working on a walker for the wedding day for me. <laughs> time goes by fast, doesn't it? And I think, I think the reminder here is that we have to take these vital years and nurture their faith while we have the time. This seemed to be Amram and Jochebed's priority. And you know why it was their priority? Because they lived their lives by faith. Everything they did was for the glory of God. You know that's what the name Jochebed means? Jochebed means all for the glory of God. Everything she did was for the glory of God. The the baby's life was for the glory of God. The basket was for the glory of God. The nurturing was for the glory of God. Everything she did was for the glory of God. We could talk about practical things to do, but can I just tell you? If we would just start by dedicating our homes as a place of worship, it would make a world of difference in our, pe- in our children's life. Talk about nurturing their faith. I hope this is not the only time your children are worshiping every week. Some of us dads need to go home and say, all right, we're just going to start reading the Bible every night before you go to bed. You don't have to give a devotion. You don't have to prepare a sermon. Nobody's asking you to do that. But you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1 and read chapter 1 tonight and read chapter 2 tomorrow night and read chapter 3. And then start taking prayer with us and pray. Maybe, maybe in a few weeks add, add some songs in there. They're learning them back in children's church. They're singing them in the kids' choir. And if we, if we would just devote our homes to a place of worship, instruction and singing and teaching and where we, where we serve one another, memorize Scripture... Every morning, every morning before I'm even downstairs, I hear Kathleen sitting around the table with our children, singing with them and doing their Awana devotions together and working through the New City Catechisms. I'm thankful for a godly wife who emphasizes that, even to my shame. It's not hopeful bliss. They they will turn out to be the The goat. And by the way, there's no guarantee that they will follow God. There's nowhere in the Bible that says if you do A, B, and C, that they will do everything God wants them to do. That is foolishness. But there's some things we can guarantee that will lead them away. You've got to do something, Dad. You've got to do something, Mom, to nurture their faith. Praying with them. Reading the Bible, singing with them, bringing them to in church, involving them the be- Dedicate your home as a place of worship. Nurture their faith. Teach them about the gospel about God. Remember the emphasis of Hebrews chapter 11, especially back with Isaac and Jacob and Esau, was not what Jacob and Esau did. And Jacob and Esau failed. Esau never came back. The emphasis was on Isaac's obedience. And so where's the emphasis on your life? Not what Kate, Keegan, Ellie, and Jaden may or may not do. I am leaving that to God. I am trusting God. The emphasis right now is what is Jonathan going to do to do his part? I think as Christian parents we have an immense responsibility. And that immense responsibility is not getting them the best scholarship that we can help them find. Although that would be nice. Our immense responsibility is to nurture their faith so that when they do go back to Egypt, we trust them. That we have done our part to prepare them for the chaos around I think the faith of Amram and Jochebed was anchored in what they believed about the character of God. His promised salvation, no doubt they taught that His guiding love, His sovereign plans and the same is true for us whatever we do as parents it must be done by faith by faith whatever we do now next week we're going to come look at the goat Moses as the greatest leader and deliverer of Israel but here's what I don't want you to forget this morning and we're going to pray now listen carefully Israel's Deliverance from Egypt began not with Moses. It began with an obscure couple. Their names are not even listed in the hall of faith. Just parents. It began with obscure parents who believed and trusted God in the midst of cultural darkness. Would you agree it's dark out here today? Uh, I know in my lifetime it's never been as dark as it is now. It is scary. Nauseating. But we can choose life anyway. And as we choose life we can entrust them to God that He's going to take care of them. And with the time we do have before we put them in the boat we're going to nurture their faith. Giving them every opportunity possible to follow the God of heaven. This is the faith of Amram and Jochebed. It's not the faith of Jonathan and Kathleen. But it's the kind of faith we want to have. And may God help us to achieve it. Let's stand together for prayer.